Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open to Acts 19. We're going to go through verses 1 through 20. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, Speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Please receive it as such. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for reading of scriptures. Well, good morning, everyone. Are all the parents ready for back to school? Yes? Partially excited about it? God's good. He's going to... Strengthen us to enter that new season for, uh, for us in this year. Well, I'm really excited to start this series called Ephesians. Very simple. We're just going to dive into the book of Ephesians for the next 13 weeks. But my assignment for today is to give you a little bit of background information to appreciate even more of the letter, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And I don't know if you've ever pulled out a text thread on your phone, which I'm sure you have, 
If you're a human being breathing and you have a smartphone, you probably have at some point, pull out your phone at the end of the day when you were busy working and you discover that you have 25 messages waiting for you. These are not 25 different people writing to you. They are just different text, part of a thread. And you pull out the thread and you have someone saying, praying for you. Like, why, why is it, what is he talking about praying for me? And then you have to go back in the history of a thread to understand that someone was saying that his cousin got hurt into an accident and that prayers were needed. And, and then you discover the whole story behind the thread and the communication between the different people. And that's exactly what we are going to do today as uh, we are starting this series on Ephesians, is to go back in time to understand a little more of the story behind the writing of a letter to the Ephesians. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, which it would be a little bit too much for me to assume that everyone knows the Bible from you know, the start to the end, but there are so many different books that form what we call the Bible. And there are books that are all about the law, books that are prophetic, books that are poem, books that are songs, books that are uh, narrations of different stories of Israel, and you have the gospel, and you have the epistles, which are letters. But to understand where all the letters come from, we need to go back into the missionary journeys that different apostles embarked on, and how they started churches on their way to different nations and different regions of Europe and uh, Asia. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. Paul was uh, an apostle who was appointed by Jesus to take that good news of the gospel that you and I have access to the Father through Jesus, take it to the nations, to the Jews and the Gentiles of the first century after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and uh, invite them to enter the kingdom. And Paul was starting communities of faith around um, the scriptures. And so our assignment for us today is to understand how Paul uh, came to Ephesus, this city of Ephesus, and started the church. Now, interestingly enough, this week we were at Pastor Roger's house for a, a pastor's meeting, and um, I gave, gave him a gift, which was an ESV translation of a Bible, a brand new Bible. But when he opened the Bible, he discovered that there was a default. Um, the printer had done a mistake, and there was a, a page that was longer than any other pages in the Bible that st stood out, and it was really awkward and weird, so he pulled out his scissors to cut it. And sure enough, the page where uh, there was a default was the first uh, page of the book of Ephesians. And so we all wondered and uh, realized, hey, this is a sign. <laughs> this is a sign we are on the right track. You guys are at the right place at the right time in your life to uh, hear from God. So I want to pull a, um, a map behind me, which is the third missionary journey of the Apostle, Apostle Paul. So Paul uh, went on three major missionary journeys. One, the first one was a rather short one. The second one was way longer. And the third one was all about revisiting the places that he had already gone to. And you can see on this map, I'm using my little laser here, um, he started in Antioch, made his way through uh, the different regions here in Asia, and then uh, stopped in Ephesus, and then made his way to Macedonia, which is Greece, and then uh, came back through all the same uh, cities that he had visited. Didn't stop at Ephesus on the way back, but met with the elders at this harbor in Miletus, and then went all the way back to Antioch. Now, the 
in his second missionary journey that Paul uh, took, he uh, went to Ephesus but couldn't stay for a very long time. Um, and he went to the synagogue, uh, preached the gospel to a few Jews, and they and invited Paul to stay longer, but he declined. He had other things to um, go on with. But he promised them, I will try to come back because uh, I think that there's potential here. And so this is what Paul did in his third third missionary journey. He came back to Ephesus and camped there for three years. That was the longest missionary effort of the Apostle Paul. Now, you have to understand that Paul was strategic. He was not going to random places and, oh, that looks like a cool place. They have good food. I'm going to stop there and preach the gospel. Now, Paul um, had limited time, and he knew that he had to spot the right cities in the different regions regions he was interested in to preach the gospel. And so Ephesus was really a key place to stop uh, to spread the gospel. And Ephesus was the fourth biggest city in the Roman Empire. Back in the days, I mean, most of Asia and uh, Macedonia and all these regions you see behind me were occupied by the Roman Empire. And it was the fourth biggest city, the capital of Asia. It is today located in Turkey, southwest coast. And the city was uh, really a main commerce business route for um, different um, enterprises, and Paul knew that if he had to spread the gospel, this was the great city to do so. Now, the city was fascinated with the occult, and its whole life revolved around the worship of Artemis. Artemis was a goddess that the people of Ephesus were worshiping every single day. They had different celebrations and rites around this worship, and they were really given over to so many dark forces. Which also brings a little more insight into the passage that Dan read uh, in Acts 19, where you see the start of a church at Ephesus and these evil spirits being driven out and the Holy Spirit moving in their midst. It's all about proclaiming the kingdom of God that breaks through all these forces at work in our lives. But this goddess Artemis was um, really a key component of the life of the Ephesians. And they attributed the um, birth of a city to Artemis and so many endeavors that they had, whether that was um, a, a special business or wanting to be fruitful and have children, all that was depending upon um, the goddess' desire for them to be successful. And so a huge temple had been, had been built for Artemis, which was considered back in the days one of the seven wonders in the world. But the city had also a network of so many small villages that would radiate up to 30 miles from the city center. And I'm, I'm going to pull a map of the city of Ephesus. There's really nothing super fancy about this map, but it gives you a good idea of how cities, um, especially harbor cities back in the days, were built. And uh, you see that there are dim- different like, key social places um, uh, over there. You have you know, the harbor gymnasium. Um, you've got the Agora, which was a marketplace. You've got the main theater here. And that theater could host up to 20 thousand people. And when you read Acts 18, 19, 20, you see of a story of a riot that happened in the city of Ephesus in result to Paul preaching the Gospels. The people in Ephesus were mad
mad, angry that because Paul was declaring that there's a new Lord, which is Jesus Christ, he was challenging the worship of the goddess Artemis, and people saw their business uh, threatened because a lot of people were building little um, statues and different items, icons that they would sell for the worship of Artemis, and suddenly the people were abandoning that because they discovered that Jesus is the new way to live your life. And they were so mad that they uh, invited all the business people in the theater and all the different uh, inhabitants of Ephesus, and they started shouting, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. So if you can imagine in your head 20,000 people gathered in that theater, shouting, screaming, who is this guy who is disturbing our lives? Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. She is the real uh, God that we need to worship. So there was quite a bit of disruption in the city because of the power of a gospel breaking through all their um, routines. And so Paul uh, would find some Jews in the city, but the, the city was predominantly uh, populated by Greek people. And Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians five years after he had visited the city. Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and while in prison in Rome, he wrote many letters to different churches that he had started in his missionary trips. And Paul was very concerned that all these churches that he had started would be um, healthy, that they would have the right leadership, that it would be alert to fight any kind of heresies or wrong doctrines that would come up. And before we go into this book in the next 13 weeks, I want to give you a few words of advice on how to approach a letter in the Bible. A letter is a letter. You know, you have different books in the Bible. You have, like I mentioned, songs. You have prophetic writings. You have apocalyptic, apocalyptic writings. But you have also letters. And they should be read as letters. And I actually really encourage you to sit down and read Ephesians in one sitting. There's really power in doing that, you know, because you enter the story, you enter the communication between uh, the author and its audience. And what makes the epistle so special is that they involve that uh, relationship, sometimes intimate relationship, where Paul is referring to uh, his audience as his children. He loves them, he cares for them, and he wants to stay in touch with them. So usually a letter in the book of the Bible uh, will have six main elements. You will have a writer, um, a recipient, a greeting, a prayer wish or a thanksgiving, the body of a letter with a lot of theological arguments, and then a final greeting with uh, a farewell uh, added to that. So if we go to Ephesians and uh, we read the first verses, we see um, the writer as Paul, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then we see the recipient of a letter to the saints. He is calling them saints, not because they were perfect, not because they were holy and blameless in their way of living, but because they had been sanctified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he called them saints. Imagine for them to see them as saints in the middle of that city of Ephesus, filled with uh, so many impurities and so many uh, idols. No, they were the saints set apart for God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, that's a recipient of a letter. And then you have uh, some kind of 
uh, thanksgiving or prayer wish. And we see that in the verse 3 where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul is starting this wonderful prayer and it's one of the longest sentences in the whole of the New Testament. 14 um, over 10 verses from verse 3 to verse 14 is made of that wonderful spiritual blessing that Paul is wishing upon the Ephesians. And Pastor Taylor will elaborate on that next week. But what is striking in that verse 3 when Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, is that right away we see that reference to the context in which the Ephesians were. They were surrounded by people who were fascinated with the heavenly places, but not the, the good heavenly places, but the dark heavenly places, the worship of Artemis and different goddesses. And um, they, they, they were really accustomed to the spiritual. And sometimes the Christians in Ephesians um, in Ephesus could feel intimidated by all these forces at work and all these riches and wealth that they would see around them. But Paul is reassuring them, saying, guys, you have been so blessed in Jesus Christ. Stop being intimidated by what you see around you. See yourself as being blessed in the heavenly places where Christ has accomplished everything for you. And suddenly that verse 3, when we know the context, has so much more depth and meaning. So you see the importance of uh, knowing how to approach a letter in the Bible, how to approach an epistle. And the Bible is made of so, so many different literary genres that we need to distinguish them when we read them and to um, really be aware of how they were written by different authors with different circumstances. And uh, I want to read what Gordon Fee and du Douglas Stewart in their wonderful book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, um, this is the guidance that they offer. The occasional nature of the epistles also means that they are not, first of all, theological treaties, nor are they summaries of Paul's or Peter's theology. There is theology implied, but it is always task theology. Theology being written for or brought to bear on the task at hand. Thus, one will go to the epistles again and again for Christian theology. They are loaded with it, but one must always keep in mind that they are not primarily written to expound Christian theology. It is always theology applied to or directed toward a particular need. And this is really a key piece of advice here for us to keep in mind when we read Ephesians. We're so quick to try to flip the page and find something that's really exciting for our spiritual walk. You know, it's like, I don't have time to read through it all, so give me the good stuff. You know, I want to know uh, what I need to do today. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to have promises from God. But the Bible was not written uh, to us directly. They're, like I was talking to Dan earlier, and he said something really wise. He said it, they were written to people for us. So yes, they applied to us, but they're written to very specific people at a very specific time in very specific circumstances. And again, um, Gordon Fee and Stewart say in their book later, a basic rule of interpretation goes like this. A text cannot mean what it never could have meant to its authors or readers. So you see a verse in the epistle 
before you jump too quickly about applying that to your life, think twice. Think about what was written before and after. Who were the recipients of a letter? That would help you appreciate even more the power of the encouragement of Paul, but also know how to apply it properly to your life. A great example is uh, that verse in Philippians that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I'm sure that you've heard that verse being quoted before. And sometimes we want to take that verse and apply it to every aspect of our lives. So we'll say, well, I want that promotion at work. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Or I want that kid to obey. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. But Paul didn't mean that verse that way. He was talking about a provision and contentment in Christ. When sometimes he is in lack, he's learned to be content because Christ is his source. Sometimes he has a lot, he's in the abundance, but he's content because Christ is his source. And that's the same thing for us, and that's the way we should apply that verse, is that sometimes, you know what, the fridge is full. Well, thank God. Sometimes the fridge is not full, and it's a little tight at the end of the month, but through Christ, who is my strength, I can, I can keep on persevering. I can hope in God. I can trust God that he's going to take care of me. That's exactly what the verse means. But you see how sometimes we take one verse and we, we want it so badly to apply to us today that we forget to think about what happened before. What was the story behind all these verses? What was the story behind all these letters? So let us appreciate even more the context of the Bible. Um, Many scholars offered the following structure um, in the book of Ephesians. And there are three structures, but I would say really two big parts. It goes like this. Um, you have the wealth in Christ. We have access to this wonderful wealth in Jesus, not material wealth, spiritual wealth, blessings in Christ Jesus for what he's done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So that's really elaborated in the chapter 1 to 3, then you have how to walk this out. Uh, as one author said, uh, become in practice what you already are in Christ Jesus. Become in practice what you already are in Christ Jesus. So Paul spent some time in chapter 4 and 5 talking about relationships between husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, uh, slaves and masters, because you're supposed to walk out uh, what you've learned in Jesus. And then there's a really interesting section in uh, Ephesians 6, which is all about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And Pastor Roger will uh, elaborate on that. Uh, and we understand more clearly why this is so important for the um, Ephesians to grasp the power that they have in Jesus, because they were facing spiritual battles with Artemis, the goddess that everyone was worshiping, with uh, different temples and different prostitutes who were there available as a worship to the gods. And here are some Christians who are supposed to live a pure life in the midst of all this opposition. But Paul is saying, you have a warfare in front of you, but you have the armor of God. Another way to see the book, which I think is really interesting, and it relates to us, our purpose statement as a church, it's uh, we are called to sit in Christ from chapter 1 to 3, to walk from chapter 4 to 5, it's all about the practice, and to stand uh, in chapter 6 uh, in relation to our authority in Christ. So you sit 
uh, in the heavenly places with Christ because you've been called a, children of, a child of God and now you're supposed to walk in this newness of life that you inherited and now you can stand strong. You know, our purpose state- statement is be firm in the faith, fulfill the call, which is all about walking on this journey and uh, finish well. We stand uh, at the end strong because we persevere. And to end uh, this little, I, I guess I could say, presentation on the book of Ephesians and the, the story behind it, there is really something that um, uh, really marked me when I was studying the book of Acts and uh, how Paul started the church of Ephesus. And is there an expression that we find seven times in the book of Acts? And it is the way. Paul, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, mentions the way in relation to the new movement of faith that Jesus had started. And it is used four times around the events of Ephesus. Let's uh, read them together. Acts 18, verse 25. He, which is Apollos, another um, teacher uh, whom God had sent to Ephesus, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So notice the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Acts 18, verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Again, we see a reference to the way. Acts 19, verse 9, the response of the Jews to the announcement of the gospel. But when some became stubborn and continued to be in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. In Acts 19, verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now imagine back in the days, uh, there is a disturbance about the way. People are disturbed because this Paul in Ephesus proclaimed that there was a new Lord, someone that you can pledge allegiance to that will transform your life and that is inviting you to enter the way. Not enter uh, a new doctrine, not enter into a new temple, not enter into a set of different spiritual um, um, you know, rites that you could practice, but enter the way, a way of living that is so transformative that it will change every single relationship that you have in your life. And that's what exactly the people of Ephesus experienced. We are told in Acts and we've heard it before in, uh, when Dan read the, the portion of scripture, that people brought their books of sorcery, uh, of the occult, and they made a pile of books, and it was worth 130 years worth of wages. All that they had, like all their wealth, and um, their um, work, their lives, were built on those books. But they realized that the way of Jesus is so powerful that it should completely overcome all that and they should surrender everything to Jesus. So we hear how all the people of Ephesus gathering, surrendering all these books, burning them as a spectacle, an expression of a transformation that they experience. It was a revival. It was a complete revival for three years. So many thousands and thousands of people got saved, not only in Ephesus, but throughout Asia because it is, we are being told in the book of Acts that this way of Jesus radiated all around 
It spread out. And here's the good news for us as we think about Ephesians and Ephesus. We can enter in such a powerful relationship with God by entering the way of Jesus that it can radiate all around us in our schools as we're entering this new season of back to school. You know what? The students can take this way of Jesus back to school and it can radiate, it can influence their friends in such a way that hundreds of people can be saved. I believe it. If it happened then, it can happen now. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this point. But let's think about this way. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Have you experienced the way? You see, religion is stagnant. But the way of Jesus moves you. Religion is based on what you can do for God. The way of Jesus is about what God has done for you. Religion is paving your own way to God. The way of Jesus is a path that you are invited into. Religion is deprived of any power. The way of Jesus is a powerful force that conquers all the dark forces. So maybe you've experienced religion in your life. Maybe you were brought up in church. You grew up hearing these stories that I've read in the book of Acts, or you've read Ephesians before, and you're like, yeah, I know this book. Wonderful book. Great, great stuff in there. But have you experienced the way? The way that the people of Ephesus experienced it, when they were willing to bring what was really so precious to them to be burned as a spectacle for everyone to see? Have you experienced that surrender that's a result of that encounter with Jesus? You see, the way is a dynamic movement. It's, it's, a, it's a journey that we enter into as a disciple where we are completely transformed and renewed in our minds. And as we will learn in Ephesians, it should affect the way we treat our spouses. It should affect the way we treat our parents and our children. And it should affect the way we see our coworkers. Back then it was the servants, the, the slaves. Today we could say the co-workers. So it really transforms everything. But it's one thing to talk about religion and talk about this book of Ephesians and this wonderful deep theology. But it's a completely different experience to know the way of Jesus. So let's pray together and let's sing one more time praises to the one who has brought so many miracles and transformations in Ephesus and can do it again today for you and for me. Jesus, we're grateful for Ephesians. Thank you for Paul, who was courageous and bold, who proclaimed the good news. Thank you that uh, you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And what you've done then, you can do it now. So we believe it. We are ex expecting great things to happen in this new season. And uh, we pray that as we study the book of Ephesians, you would do a transformation in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.